Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, which is full of hamsters that speak Latin backwards, a mummified priest encased in a statue, and Nosferatu's left earring. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Uh, Mikey, how about we start out, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. What went down in your life outside of scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, the scariest thing I came across this week was the Miss Minutes jump scare. Are you familiar with Miss Minutes? Um, Are you watching not Loki? Not by title? Oh, no, I have not seen any of Loki. Okay. Is it Loki-specific yes. jump scares? Uh, okay. <laughs> the Miss Minutes jump scare got me. So this week was the season finale Miss of Loki. Minutes. This is not a spoiler. Uh, you don't have to have seen it. Um, but there's a, a cute little cartoon mascot of the Time Variance Association, where most of the television program Loki takes place, that is a little cartoon clock lady. And this week on the season finale of Loki, two characters are walking through like a creepy mansion sort of place, and it's building tension. And this okay, cartoon clocks lady, clock lady jumps in and she's like, hello. <laughs> it's very scary. Is she 2D or 3D or a puppet? She's 2D. Okay. She's 2D. Everybody else is 3D. So it is a okay. cartoon lady who jumps in front of it. So that wasn't the jump scare that scared me. What scared me was when I saw her in my life. Mike, so she broke the fourth wall. She broke through. She's in your house. And she lived. She lives in my walls. Is she your third roommate she now? She lives in my walls, Roxy. <laughs> I hear her scurrying around. It's how she gets around paying rent. It's, it's pretty smart, really, when you think about it. Yeah, no. Actually, is that a viable option? I would live in somebody's walls instead of paying rent. You know, I've heard terrifying stories of people doing exactly that. <laughs> Hiding in walls and basements and attics with uh, occupants being none the wiser. That's and my they don't pay rent. Greatest so. fear. I feel like I read maybe... Uh, creepy pasta about a kid who's like yeah in the vents i used to just see a man and uh, my parents said uh, it wasn't real that i was making it up and then one day they found him <laughs> they like found <laughs> they went into the walls and they were like hey, there is a man in here and he this is where he exists yeah no that's absolutely terrifying to me too that that's much scarier to me home invasion things like that people being weird is much scarier to me than any sort of like demon or ghost and or imagine anything. if it was a 2d cartoon clock yeah i mean does she just pop out and make a f scary noise why is she so scary yeah no she there's a little uh hole in the banister like a mouse comes out of <laughs> uh -huh. squeezes her cartoon self out and she goes what <laughs> okay you're gonna have to like send me a video of this if somebody okay. has clipped it online so i can see just what this looks like because i'm trying to imagine it and it just cannot be scary with the way my brain is like trying to come up with it. yeah no you're not wrong it should it shouldn't be scary but it's very scary uh roxy what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week by comparison to you having a fourth wall breaking intruder in your home uh i just got a bad sunburn because i went outside for the first time in a while <laughs> really scary my shoulders hurt <laughs> mildly is in fact scary i mean it do i can't get rid of it until just time the passage of time heals it so it, well, that, i can't escape from that fear <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking like if your brain works at all like mine you're just like oh well, this is just forever i'm just gonna hurt like this for the rest of my life yeah yeah basically if i don't at have a clear a definitive date in the future when i will wipe a cream on my body and it will feel better I just assume that this is just it. Yeah, just one one day I'll look and then the color will be different and I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm free now. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> hey, I'm looking forward to that day for you, Rox. <laughs> Me too. Oh, here he is, stomping on over. <sighs> Our Man, boy, so loud. the demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, I tasked you with watching the 1994 film In the Mouth of Madness, directed by John Carpenter and starring Sam Neill and Jürgen Prock. Now, did you watch the film? I watched that movie. So so did I. I indeed watched it as well. So uh, that's two for two. Good. Then you may keep your souls. Cool. Nice. For now. <sighs> Yeah, he got it's us. getting old, he Mikey. Got, he got us though. <laughs> Listen, it gets Every old. Time. It, it gets it's getting old, but you know it's on us. It's on us to one time remember that he's going to do that. <laughs> I think we just hold out hope, Roxy. For anybody who hasn't seen In the Mouth of Madness, do you want to do a quick plot summary of it? Hell yeah, let's do it. Okay. We open on a printing press with a rockin' soundtrack that you are listening to right now. And then we cut to a man, John Trent, who is being dragged into a psychiatric hospital. The man insists he's not crazy, but a few days later, when asked to recount the tale of how he ended up here, he's drawn crosses all over the padded cell and on his own face. He sure looks crazy, but is he faking? We go back before John Trent ended up in this padded cell to learn that he is a freelance insurance investigator, always on the lookout for con men. John is asked by a friend in the business to investigate the disappearance of horror megastar super author Stutter Kane. While John is accepting the job, a crazed man with an axe smashes through the window and attempts to kill John, but at the last minute is shot dead by police that are magically there. It turns out that crazy axe wielder was Sutter Kane's agent, who supposedly went insane after reading Kane's newest and still unpublished manuscript. This agent then kills his entire family before going after Trent. Of course, wanting to know more about this man, Trent goes to the publisher's office and teams up with Kane's editor, Linda Stiles. The two go searching for the fictional town of Hobbs End, a town from Sutter Kane's books to which he supposedly ran away. Trent is convinced the whole thing is a big publicity stunt. While in the car on their way to Hobbs End, Trent falls asleep and Linda drives through the night. She experiences strange things <laughs> and eventually they make it to the town of Hobbs End. A town that should not exist. Uh, Trent refuses to believe Linda about the strange things she saw and the town itself. She admits that Kane disappearing in the first place was in fact a publicity stunt. <laughs> but that was it. This recreation of the town, all the strange people, the objects, and things directly from the novels were never a part of the plan. Something extremely freaky is going on here. <laughs> the cause seems to be an ominous church with black spires. And in an attempt to find Cain and figure out what's going on, Linda goes to the church. As it turns out, Cain is there and is finishing up his final novel called In the Mouth of Madness. Cain forces Linda to read the novel and she, as one does, goes insane. <laughs> Trent finally must confront that reality is unraveling as both Linda and the old lady managing the inn turn into horrible tentacle creatures. <laughs> Trent attempts to leave the town as the now-warped townspeople menace and pursue him throughout its streets. It's only when Trent finds himself in a loop, leaving and then coming back unable to truly leave the town, that he now accepts his fate and goes to the Almond's church himself. There, Trent runs into Sutter Kane himself, who tells him that Trent is in fact a character from the book, the lead character of In the Mouth of Madness, and that the belief that his fans have in him has allowed Kane's creations to become real. All this time, Sutter Kane thought he was imagining the horrors in his story, but it turns out 
An ancient race of monstrous cosmic horrors have been telling him what to write so they can be freed. Kane then passes the completed manuscript to Trent, giving him one last mission to deliver it to the outside world. He then tears open his face, <laughs> which creates a portal for the monsters to pass through and reveals the pages of the book that Trent and everything he has ever known inhabit. Horrified, Trent runs from the creatures pursuing him and suddenly finds himself on a country back road? Trent abandons this manuscript, but that son of a bitch follows him wherever he goes. Eventually, Trent goes back to the publisher's office, who claims that Trent went to look for Kane on his own, that Linda never existed. Trent realized this is because Linda was written out of the book in the final draft. Worse yet, even though Trent burned the manuscript, the publisher tells him that he actually delivered it months ago, off screen. In fact, <laughs> that book, In the Mouth of Madness, has been on sale for weeks, and the movie adaptation is in post-production. Horrified, Trent goes to a bookstore and runs into a customer, currently being consumed by madness from <laughs> reading the book. He then axe murders the man and is arrested and sent to the asylum, where our very story began. The doctor that Trent has been recounting his story to does not believe him at all and leaves after a very awkward confrontation <laughs> The orderly asks him if he reads Sutter Kane. <laughs> These guys love Sutter Kane. As they time, really do. <laughs> as time passes, the asylum is soon overrun with monsters, and then it's abandoned. Trent was kept safe by the huge metal asylum door, and when it all is quiet again, he's able to just walk up and leave. He sees the chaos of the apocalyptic event that has engulfed the world as he was locked up. He also listens to news reports of humans mutating and mass murder and suicide. This is all playing on the radio. A movie theater playing the movie adaptation of In the Mouth of Madness is running nonstop. <laughs> and Trent decides to sit in the theater alone and watch it because uh, what else does he have to do? What he sees is the events of the very movie that we've been watching play out. And when Trent gets to the scene where he himself yells, this is reality, he starts laughing and laughing before breaking down and crying at the realization that the whole time he has indeed always been a character in Kane's book. That is his reality. Oof. <laughs> the worst part about this for me is the fact that at some point in the movie, Trent does sit down and read all of Sutter Kane's books. And he's like, this sucks. <laughs> These are stupid. <laughs> well, he's being like a very over the top, a kind of cynical, smug asshole about it, too. He's like, these are really bad, but because they keep doing the same thing. But then actually, they're kind of interesting, though. Like, while he's describing how he thinks it's trash, he's also like, but I kind of liked it. Uh -huh. I understand why people like his stuff. <laughs> There's a ring of truth to this book that is about me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Roxy, this movie is insane. It truly, it truly is, which makes sense since a lot of people in the movie go insane. That's true. Uh, truly insane movie. <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of scenes in this movie where just silly gibberish happens, where there's like a mob chasing them to the church, and then they get to the church and Dobermans attack the mob, and the children yeah. are running around, and Sam Neill, uh, Trent rather, can't see the children, but Styles can. And it's just... It's out of control. There's no coherent. It's another movie. Like, I think the next movie we watch, Roxy, hopefully Demon uh -huh. Bot will grant us a movie <laughs> that has rigid rules. That is just like, here is what's happening in the world. And these things are occurring and you can track them as such. <laughs> 
We just need like a good old crime thriller or something. <laughs> no, a magical supernatural thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely do. Listen, I love this movie with my whole heart. But it was silly. It was like things yeah. are just happening. And we're all just like asked to go along with them. So by the time this episode comes out, these tweets are probably going to be long buried. So if anybody goes uh, searching through my tweets, uh, A plus, high five, thanks. Uh, I just kept clipping scenes from it, like just using my shitty camera phone. Just because there's so many funny, like out of context scenes. <laughs> like there's a part where he's watching a mob like do a ring around the rosy dance around styles as she's like in the middle of the street and then this lady comes up with an axe runs up behind him stops next to him just says fuck you and then runs off and he's just like so taken aback <laughs> and terrified about that that he runs into the building next to him yeah it's the, it seems like there's this genre of horror movie and it's very dreamlike and inco in, I was I didn't know if I was going to say incoherent or inconsistent, and it came out inconsistently. <laughs> you made a new word, Mikey. Congratulations. But it's just like things are just kind of like happening that are vaguely creepy. It's like, I think this movie does have a pretty good spine and rule set that it, I mean, if it wanted to, obviously it's a different movie than this. But like they could have just said, I write these things because there are creatures telling me and that drives people mad and surprise you're a character. But like that, like yeah. even, even but like surprise, you're a character is like a, a hat on a hat. Like that's like an interesting concept that like. Yeah, it for me, like all of the random things or things that happen, it made me think like the town is supposed to be an amalgamation of the six books before, like in mm. the mouth of madness, like the current storyline we're reading. So it just feels like bits and pieces like this was a scary thing from that one book that if you read it, you'd know it. But like these books don't exist in real life, like in reality. Yeah. So you can't read Sutter Kane's books to know like, oh, those demon children that ate like that dog's leg or something. Uh -huh. You know, that's from that one book. They go into the one about the innkeeper lady and her husband, though, how like she specifically is more of like a central character where when they first meet her, uh, Sam Neill is like, yeah, that th that lady was really sweet. There's no way she's supposed to be like the one in the book that chops up her husband and turns into a tentacle creature. Mm -hmm. And then later, that is indeed what happens. Right. <laughs> it, it feels like this movie, like, I wouldn't be surprised to hear this movie was filmed in order, like in sequence, and <laughs> had no script. <laughs> like, like it's, just, it's just kind of things are happening. And then once they happen, they're explained. They're like, like, if this movie had opened with, like, and this is my great idea. Like, why am I trying to fix this movie? Okay. I love it. <laughs> I, I want to, <laughs> I want Mikey to like, Lee, right? Mikey edit. <laughs> hammer it into a coherent story because I am so uh, tired of dream logic movies, I think. Uh, <laughs> I would say, did you only watch this movie once, Mikey? Yes. Like, the one time beforehand? Okay. So, I watched this initially. Again, this was another one I watched while in high school. Um, and now rewatching it again you know, like over 10 years later, uh, since I kind of knew what the story was about, it made more sense to me because I knew kind of like what the bigger framework is. So I wonder if it's just one of those things where like the first time you watch it, a lot of it feels like this bullshit doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what the hell? But then when you go back and watch it again, kind of knowing what's coming, it makes more sense in that context, which I'm not saying that's like a great way to make your movie because you shouldn't have to watch it twice in order right. to like get the full effect. Well, like I think but that, that I think was my experience anyway. There's like a, a storytelling method to like, if this movie had opened with him with like a scene from a Sutter Kane novel or a movie adaptation, 
mm-hmm. and we saw like the creepy old lady who was like not creepy and then she chops up her husband then that resonates later when we see the old lady and we're like but it, it what was happening yeah, was then we have the knowledge yeah instead of like the characters having the knowledge it's the inverse of what i always talk about the characters have knowledge we don't as opposed to we have knowledge the characters don't when like we know who the killer is and we're like don't go in that house uh it just feels like she was like i'll bet there's a creaky board and then he steps on a creaky board and it's just like I have no connection to the creaky board. It just. Yeah. The thing like choosing that to be a thing too. like, you could have picked something so much more interesting (laughs) instead of creaky board. Uh, But I suppose they start small and then they're like, Oh, but then there's the giant church, isolated church on a hill with like gleaming black spires. It's out of that window. Okay. (laughs) Can we talk about this for a second? This is like his first uh, or or one of uh, Trent's first moments when he's like, wow, maybe there is something to, like, the fact that we reality is over and now we're in the reality of Sutter Kane. When she's like, there's a church here that's mentioned in his novels, as though Sutter Kane couldn't be the kind of guy who's just like, I need a church, I grew up in this town, I know the church well, and just, like, wrote about his life experiences. <laughs> They're like, wow, creepy, we're in a place with uh, loose floorboards. It's like, yeah, if he went to a mo- the town motel had loose floorboards, that's like a specific detail he could pull from his life. Uh, like, yeah. th- this movie draws a hard line, and this is going to sound crazy, but uh, it flips it. <laughs> this movie draws a hard line between fiction and reality in that, like, when it flips, it flips. But, like, if something is in the Sutter Kane world, it is fiction. And then reality, when Sutter Kane takes over... Or if something is in the real world, it's like not discussed in the Sutter Kane verse. Yeah. There's something I also noticed about like the way the acting and the scenes are like dressed and lit kind of like in the beginning versus the end. Mm. Where you can really see it is like in the publishing office before they go to Hobbs End and then in the publishing office afterwards where like they chose to make it so different. It made it feel like, okay, the publishing office we saw in the beginning, that was in the book. That's why, like, all of the acting and, like, well, not really the acting, like, the lines are what are making it kind of, like, overdone. Hmm. Like, (laughs) Sam Neill feels more like a... uh, This is a guy scoping out con men who kind of has the flavor of a con man, Mm -hmm. like, the way he kind of carries himself and is trying to, like, scope people out. Kind of like the stereotype of what you would expect that character to be. And he's saying lines the way he says the word bullshit just like seems so (laughs) (laughs) if you guys seen it you know what i'm talking about it's just so goofy um and the music too is like a little more uh like kind of off kilter and like the lighting was a lot warmer and there's a ton of people like running and bustling around and then the next time he goes into the office there's also a lot of close-ups in that too and the next time he goes into the office it's, like, colder, darker. There's just, like, him and the boss guy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more drawn-out shots. The music is a lot more, like, somber. Mm-hmm. So th- I hadn't thought of it until this rewatch of it. I was like, okay, so then the first scene did just take place in, like, the book reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that was Sutter Kane writing it. And then when we're here, this is what the actual reality of the office looks like in the scene towards the end, maybe. I, I, I'm almost thinking the distinction is, like... At the beginning, this movie is a rough draft, just by the fact that, Uh like, Styles is in that scene, and she's canonically only in the rough draft and not in the finalized version. It almost feels like the book is getting closer to being finished. 
when yeah. he's in the Charlton yeah. Heston. It's like it's more real. It's more grounded. He's a more real character by that point. He's gone yeah. through some stuff as opposed to being an archetype, which a lot of characters start out as. Uh, there is a lot of like, and you and I both are writers in our non-scary basement lives. Yep. And so we know kind of what this process is. And it feels like this movie kind of aces it in terms of how like you're watching a, a scene of Trent reading a book and then just all of a sudden he's in an alleyway where a cop's beating the shit out of some guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, that's sort of how writing is. You're just like, oh, you kind of, you're like trying to get something down on paper and you're like, this scene isn't going anywhere. And then you just cut to <laughs> like a cool street. Yeah. It does feel yeah. like a little bit of like going through the writing process with Sutter Kane. I would agree, especially because when you come up with those scenes, you know, if you were finalizing it and like editing it more, you know, you'd have connective tissue mm -hmm. because like you might just be trying to get those scenes out when you're thinking of them, mm -hmm. you know. Although I will so, say yeah, whenever I, can... I write, I go the opposite where I have too much connective tissue. And then uh -huh. my giant relief when I go back and edit is just like, we don't need to see him walk in like we can just start the conversation where they pick up <laughs> Sutter Kane different kind of writer than I am I'll say that much about him I guess I I think I'm happy about that I'm glad that <laughs> here's the thing when you told me about this movie and by you I mean demon bot <laughs> who, uh -huh. who told us about the movie last week it was described to me as like a Stephen King like writer and it blew yes. my fucking mind Roxy when they said <laughs> Sutter Kane outsells Stephen King. Yeah. They like, like actually name drop him. He's in this reality, like, he's just the world's version of Sutter Kane. Like, he has the same typography. I, he's as, very like, he's very Stephen similar King. to Stephen King, but I think more so than Stephen King, even like HP Lovecraft. I think he's more of an allegory for HP Lovecraft. No, he's he's way. definitely writing HP Lovecraft. Yeah, like an amalgamation between the both of them, but like, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, Cosmic Horrors, like Cthulhu's telling him from out of space, uh -huh. <laughs> like what to write. I think it's time we talk about Stephen King, Roxy. Have we talked about him on the podcast before? I don't think so, because we haven't covered any of his adaptations. I, don't I think fucking so. hate Stephen King. I like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's as close to being personal as it's, as something can be without being personal. <laughs> and it's because he has that book called On Writing, which oh, from I didn't even know he had a book like that. Yeah, from all accounts, it's like a great book. I can't sit down and read it because he talks about his writing process, which is just to sit down and d d d crank out so many words a day. It's just like I sit here and I do it. Yeah, and in the nineties, I did a lot of coke while I did it, or yeah. something, right? It's so fucked up. <laughs> Whatever his vice it's like, was. No, back writing then. is hard for every other person, and it's like. I, I held myself- It's so personal to you. I don't know. Listen, writing's hard. Writing is the hardest <laughs> yes. thing that anyone's ever it's done. It's very difficult. It's what, why well, <laughs> everyone has to drink when they write. Right? We all do this? Do we all? <laughs> I mean, I drink caffeine. Yeah. Does that I mean, that's count? what I meant. Does that count? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> uh, it's it's so difficult to write and it's so like laborious and like all of the writing quotes that like really move me are about like, the the pain of struggling to find the perfect word to convey this idea and this feeling in your head. And Sutter Kane freaking talks about this. He's just like, nobody's ever really captured the the anatomy of horror before. And it almost feels like he's talking about the writing process. Like, I I've never known how to make this idea that is real to me 
translate into the page. And he's like, it, like this yeah. process of like, I had to write six books before I started to get there. It's so hard. And so when Stephen King comes in, when he marches into the room and he just fucking sits down and crosses legs, like, well, why don't you just write? It's like, shut up. <laughs> Go to hell. I'll fight you. And for the longest time, and this is why I mean, like, it's as close to personal without being personal. Stephen King didn't do this to hurt me, but it hurt me because I, for the longest time, held myself to that standard. I'm like, why am I not just writing? Why am I struggling? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just sit down and write? And it wasn't until my amazing, wonderful therapist said to me, well, like, well, but what is Stephen King writing? And that's when it clicked. He can sit down and write because he's a bad fucking writer. He doesn't give it. He's just making shit up. He's just throwing. He's just like, oh, then it's a clown, but it's a monster. And then it turns into a different monster. There's like no rules, no care, no thought put into it. Sometimes there's multiple realities and then you time travel and then they go to the universe. Shut up. Take some time. He needs more self-reflection. He needs to take a day and not just crank out another couple thousand words, but he needs to go back and say, does this make sense? Have you read the fucking stand? The stand is just like, uh, then there's a nuclear bomb and God saves them. Why? Why? Uh, I watched the mini series of the stand, so I don't know how closely that follows, but uh, there's a lot of bullshit. So good. That that see that's my problem with so many of Stephen King's books is that or like his stories in general they always start out really interesting like yeah. there's an interesting hook like what's this going to be it's really cool and then like around the halfway mark you're like mm, oh something feels he a little doesn't off care. and then the ending doesn't land like ever for me no but not not that I can think of anyway well it's because he doesn't have right anything now. to say. He's not, like, building – he doesn't have, like, this big grand, like, idea that he's, like, working towards. He's just meandering until he's like, well, it's time to end it. And then – Do you think he gets bored? I he's don't – like, eh, I've been here for so long. It just needs to end now. The clown was a giant monster. It and- feels like he get like, he is doing the writing equivalent of getting in his car and driving until he hits the ocean. Hmm. <laughs> like, it's not even that he's bored. It's just, like, he doesn't have – like, we all have great ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen, right? I, I've heard this from, like, every writing teacher I've ever had. Your ideas are yeah. fine. Don't be precious about your ideas. Throw them all out there. What makes them good is the honing and the crafting and the, like, the figuring out what they relate to in the real world. And if you have something personal to say about it. Like, Stephen King has nothing personal hey, to say. Hey, Carrie. Carrie. I haven't read Carrie. I'd say Carrie. I hear okay. Carrie's great. I haven't read it either. The Carrie movie, I remember liking it and feeling... As though it felt like it was a complete thing. We should put that on the list. We probably should. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like Carrie a movie we should watch. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that's not to say that, like, I, I mean, that is of, that is the ultimate in a broken clock being right twice a day. Sometimes he's going to just, like, fucking drive his car straight to the, oh, so, into oh, the ocean I, I, and I, end up hitting me. Uh-huh. The ones that I did read were the tower ones. The Dark Tower. It is the Dark Tower. His, the, his, it his, his dark, tower. dark tower. Okay. material towers. I, <laughs> so many... Titles that sound the same. I read the first one, and by the end of it, I was like, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give the second one a shot, because I think this has a lot of potential. Uh Then I started reading the second one, and I hated it. Uh It was like the first third of it. I don't even know how I stuck it out as long as I did, and I just stopped. I couldn't (laughs) read any more of it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I fucking hate that dude. 
I hate, I hate him so much. <laughs> Mikey is going to fight Stephen King in a he boxing match. He stressed me out for like a bunch of years. And then I realized he was garbage. Well, it's also just in terms of getting back to like the writing process, everything is going to be different for every person. Like that thing works, that way of writing works specifically for Stephen King because he's Stephen King and he's been writing that way for mm -hmm. so long. Like that's not going to work for everybody. Like everybody has to figure out their own process. That's again mm -hmm. why it's so difficult. Things that work for other people, maybe you can incorporate some of that into your own experience. But for the most part, you have to find that out yourself. Like that. that's why I think that question when you ask a writer, like, how do you write? What advice would you give to other people? It's just kind of like, you need to figure it out yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is really what, what the answer to that question <laughs> is. But, uh, people being on the spot, you know, they have to give an answer. So I, 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 I don't know. I'm sorry that book stressed you out, Mikey. Yeah. You are not, <laughs> it's not it. you. It's just, <laughs> you're, you don't write the same way Stephen King does. I don't think anybody else is going to write the same way he does. He writes the way he writes. Well, I mean, I don't think I agree with that. I think the process is the same for a lot is, I, I mean, uh, obviously the specifics are different, but I think that like the process is kind of the same for a lot of people and that you write and rewrite and work and sweat. Yeah, and I guess it's more like the, the conditions for it. Like we were jokingly saying like, oh yeah, you always drink before you write or something. Uh -huh. Like what if you write, what if you write at your peak at like 2 a.m., but mm -hmm. you won't know that until you're just like fucking circling the drain at 2 a.m. Uh -huh. after you've been going, you know, or maybe waking up super early in the day works for you. Or maybe like, yeah, having coffee will work for you. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> little things that will help you kind of cement your process, I guess. And then yes, you have to get down to the work and just the bulk of the time is just literally writing. Uh, uh, Roxy, I'm going to ask you, I I've got a question <laughs> for you this week. And I'm just going to ask you because we've accidentally stumbled into my answer for my for myself. Oh, have we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Roxy, what author would you most hate to have been created by a la Trent in the moment? Um, because mine's Stephen okay. King. <laughs> if I was in like a right. Stephen King book, I'd just be wandering around. There'd be a man in a dark coat. And he would have no goals besides the general end of humanity. And then I'd win because God set off a lightning bomb. And there'd be some weird sex stuff in there somewhere there just to make weird, you. Whoa, we didn't even talk yeah. about the weird sex yeah. stuff. That's, yeah. What uh, kind of maniac is writing it? And it's just like, what if all my characters had sex in the and also sewer? underage. <laughs> yeah. Who are children. <laughs> Shut up. Wonder why they left that out That's of the, the kind of thing. adaptation. <laughs> If you if he was taking one second to edit his books, he'd be like, "I should cut that part." That's an insane. Who is thing his editor then? I think it's his um, editor's fault. Then now that you're bringing this up, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Unless the he like who made the movie, moment. cut it out. They were like, "This is yeah. insane. This should not be every in it. single adaptation. <laughs> every single adaptation. <laughs> the mini series and gibberish. the movie. Yep." <laughs> Roxy, if so, if you found out that the author of your reality was blank. It would make you the most upset. Who is, fill in that blank? Who is that author? Uh, th this is maybe going to sound a generic pick here, but probably H.P. Lovecraft because oh. your reality's fucked no matter which one it is, and it's even worse so if it happens to be one of the ones where he worked in racism. <laughs> so it's like racist damn world ending. <laughs> That's a, a okay. You're. <laughs> I don't want to be a fish person. I don't want to go crazy from looking at a statue. I don't want those things. No, H.P. Lovecraft would me. be a, a bummer because, like, if you found that out and you hadn't seen what the big cosmic universe shattering twist is yet, you'd be like, "Yeah, well, I got that to look forward to." 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't read a ton of H.P. Lovecraft. Are his stories racist or was he himself just a racist? He himself was. And the way that it bleeds into his stories is more like, like kind of the mixing of bloodlines or things. But uh, it's like humans and fish people from like fish monsters. So the, the mm. context of the story itself is not like, like it is just a fish monster. It's like, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm not going to say that's like racist or something. Uh-huh. Uh, but in the context of he himself, you can kind of see like, oh, he was drawing on his fear of uh-huh. something like that. That's very funny to um, me. Just like, not only do I have to deal with a Cthulhu, but it's going to be a <laughs> metaphor for racism. <laughs> like, that would be such a, <laughs> yeah. such a disaster. <laughs> Um, and also just like, he, he was so overt about it, he wasn't even trying to hide it very meticulously, or not meticulous, that's a word, wrong word, uh, very offensively, the name of his cat, um, mm. which I would say, look it up at your own peril, but it is on the internet, the name of his cat starts with an N. Oh. And it is a black cat. It is not great. Mikey's looking. Uh, I sure am. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it went missing in 1904 when he was only 14 years old. Aw. I feel that the cat probably ran away because he knew. The uh, cat knew. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to be called this by this shitty kid. Why? <laughs> oh, okay. Found it. You found it? Yeah. It's, it's N-word man. Yes. Aw. That's too bad. <laughs> there is. <laughs> that's putting it lightly. Um, that's a mean thing to call a cat. Or a, a Anything. Yep. Anyone. Um. Well, anyway, that's why it's... <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's the right answer. It would be awful to be an H.P. Lovecraft creation. Uh, Roxy, on a scale of one to nine, since ten uh-huh. doesn't exist in the scary basement, how likely do you think this is to happen? So my answer was a six out of nine mm. for there to be a Sutter Kane-like cult to exist, because mm. Scientology exists, and that's basically... Okay. Somebody read some sci-fi novels and decided to make a cult about it and pay a lot of money. That's a great so point. So that, that is proven to be real. But I'd say uh, minus three points so we don't get to the full nine. Mm-hmm. Um, because no way is it like, would it be legit and backed by actual cosmic horrors in uh-huh. real life? Which is <laughs> good uh, for us, too bad for them. Sounds like oh. your opinion of the publishing industry is a little sunnier than mine. <laughs> I, I said a four. A four. Just because okay. I, I think in terms of, like, the idea is very realistic. Again, that there would be a cult, that there would be fights at the bookstore when the uh, the book isn't available, that a, uh-huh. a figure could rise to such prominence. My first thought was, like, what books are going to be this popular? But then I started thinking about Harry Potter. And uh-huh. uh, it strikes me as kind of the worst fear of uh, those kinds of mothers who wanted to ban Harry Potter. They were like, well, it'll turn children to witchcraft. It'll make them evil. Like, people were yeah. afraid of this, but it didn't happen. So, yeah. slicing it up. It's for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah. The the turning you into a sociopath because you are reading a book backed by uh, the night beings <laughs> is probably not real. <laughs> but an author creating a pop culture sensation and uh, people, people being terrified their whole of lives. it. And maybe even bringing an axe to chop up people who... We're reading it. I mean, there was no axes, but there were book burnings. Yeah, I mean, there's also kind of, this is slightly removed, but like the Slender Man murders. Yeah. Those no. like girls who are so into the Slender Man creepypasta story that they literally killed someone Roxy, over it. you know what? The Slender Man example is causing me to bump my score up from a four to a five. Okay. 
because it has happened one time. Exactly what yes. this movie described. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> All right. So, Mikey, we made a bet last week. Mm-hmm. And the uh, bet was, in the Mouth of Madness, how many book titles are mentioned slash shown on screen? I, sa- I said three. Yes, Mikey said three, I said ten, and the actual answer is seven. Seven. Which, if if people have a Blu-ray release, maybe they can, like, zoom in on some of the other covers. From what I found and from what they were, like, highlighting in the movie, there are six ones that Sutter Kane did, and then the seventh one is the movie slash book itself in the Mouth of Madness. So he did, like, six leading up to it. Mm-hmm. So you crushed that one. I mean, I got closer, you, but You were off by three, it. and I was- off by four, so... I guess that's uh, true. Okay, one work. by one point then. <laughs> Yay. Now, Roxy, we haven't talked about this on the podcast uh, ever, but not too we long haven't. ago, you and I together, we did the exact right combination of poppers, molly, LSD, spicy foods, and exercise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. To see beyond the veils of our reality. So we actually looked through the veil and saw the author of our reality. Because we're, of course, all characters in a novel. Everyone oh, yeah. 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 That's just goes we without saying. And so we met and talked to our author. And I don't know about you, but to me, the most surprising thing that this author told us was that they had done the same. They had also taken the exact right combination uh, of poppers, okay. molly, LSD, spicy foods, and exercise. That's how they knew to tell us to do it so that we could meet them. No, okay, we had to do sense. it first because that's right? how we met them. He tried. But they wrote us to know how to do it, though. Yeah. Oh, the- God. Great point. You're right. <laughs> I forgot that everything they do, everything we have done was written by them. Yeah. So they had done that and, the- and that author had met the author of their reality. And that mm-hmm. author had met the author of that reality. So we are going to, once again, do something we did with It Follows. We're going to trace it back. We're going to trace it back to the beginning. We're going to go through and we're going to talk about all of the authors who are writing our various realities. And so I'll talk about the author of our reality. And then you'll talk about the author of their reality. And I'll talk about the author of their reality. We'll just go back and forth. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So you and I, we, uh, we get into our, our haze and we, what happened was we reached through the wall and ripped it open. And we saw on the outside where words. pages. pages from a book and we looked through and the the face i saw staring back was a a a wimpy guy and wimpy guy his name was robert founden and he was the kind of guy who wore like a long sleeve plaid shirt uh tucked in and he had and he buttoned the top button even that always stresses me out oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) and uh, it didn't fit quite right yeah no no it was like very tight he was like struggling to breathe Like, why would you put yourself through that? I don't get it. (laughs) And so he told us that he had been writing a story about two people who would go to a scary basement and get locked in there. And he was just like, well, I kind of just make it up as I go. Uh, I don't think about it that hard. It's just like I I made a I did the smart thing. This is what Robert said. He said, Uh I did the smart thing where I set it up nice and early that every scary thing in the scary basement existed. So if I have an idea about a scary thing that happened, it's just like, yeah, canonically, it's there. Yeah, I feel like that was uh, kind of a <laughs> easy way out. But then I was really disappointed where when we asked him what the deal is with Demon Bot, he refused to tell us. 
Right. So, like, that, how is that fair? You know? <laughs> no, that freaks me out about Demon Bot specifically, <laughs> that he was like, he was like, oh, I didn't create the Demon Bot. The Demon Bot was there. He's just been there the whole time. I am always here. Always. But then he, of course, told us that he did the same thing we did, and he saw through to his author of his reality, Roxy, yeah. who was uh, Robert Foundison's writer. So I think he said something about how, like, he had to have he had to put a ladder up against his his wall to get really high up there in order to peel back the page up there. Uh-huh. It must have been really funny to see that that guy kind of stalk his way up there. I can't even imagine it. The the, the tear between <laughs> realities was just like. Five feet higher than he could reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's too bad. And then when he finally did, I, I don't know, Mikey, how you feel about this when he, he told us, but uh, he said it was a psychic dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, that, yeah, that psychic dog is... Uh... It, it was like tele- it was communicating with him telepathically, so mm. it like developed an entirely different consciousness aside from our dogs. Right. We're which used- is how he got the idea for dogs, I guess. We're used to either... <laughs> People talking or dogs uh-huh. barking. But this was a dog who did neither. Yeah, it just talks into your mind. Found uh-huh. a way around it. And if I remember, uh, what, what did he did he tell you what that dog's name was? Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard, of course. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah Colonel Mustard. Yeah. He mentioned that Colonel Mustard had a, uh, a dog secretary that he telepathically communicated his ideas to. And the secretary, Lady Mustard. <laughs> Lady Mustard. Oh, maybe they're married. No, they're not married in this reality. Oh, okay. We shouldn't pry into their private life everyone, anyway. Everyone it's in them. that reality is their last name is Mustard. And their, oh, okay. and their first name is a title. <laughs> Lady Mustard, she typed up the book. Oh, okay. So he was just uh, dictating it to yeah. her. So she did all the hard work. Yeah, he's the only one who is telepathic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the typewriter was bigger too. So it was like made for dog paws because dogs don't have fingers. So. Right. It was a whole big workout for yeah, them in their like dimension. The, pian- the piano and big. Except for yeah. dogs to write books. <laughs> yeah. uh, Colonel Mustard then, I, I remember this one very clearly. Colonel Mustard told Robert Frownsend, his name changes every time. <laughs> I to say yes, it. It's uh, part of his mystery. Colonel Mustard told Robert Frownsend about his reality that was being written by his great author. And that, mm. it was... Uh, Colonel Mustard's whole reality was being written by uh, Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> no, it was one of those things where like... I forgot she, how layered it was because she she somehow made it to our reality too, but in like a warped way. Yeah, no. She, impressive. She trickled down economics is what they call that. Yeah. Uh, she had spent so long trapped under the sea. And she was just so used to like undersea things that she was just like, I just need to get like out of it. And all of my other friends are writing books about fish coral reefs even my uh, my other friend flounder is writing a book uh-huh. that everybody's like this is so creative this is so out there and it was just about forks that he found ah he was yeah. calling them thingamabobs which is a term i had uh, also so i was just like i'm just gonna go out there and i'm just gonna write a story about dogs that are all last name mustard first name their title and I'm just going to, that's going to be mine. And it's going to have nothing to do with anything. And all of Ariel's friends, Sebastian, Prince Eric, her dad, <laughs> the king, they were just like, <laughs> Trident. They were just like, tri- King tri- Trident. Uh, they were just like, <laughs> yes, King Trident. <laughs> they were just like, this doesn't fucking make sense. 
And Ariel's like, well, I just sit down and type and then I come up with a book and they're just like, go back and edit it. And she's just like, it doesn't matter. You just sit down at your desk every day and, and you just type. And they're just like, things are just happening. The dog's, why is he telepathic? And then this dog has to type. What's the, why? Why does it matter? And King Trident is just going there getting mad. King Trident had a whole podcast about it. How furious he was. (laughs) That Ariel's books didn't make any sense. With how angry they are and how much they're hyping it up, though, I think it's because everybody was writing about stuff in the sea, but not about things on the land. So Ariel was, like, daring enough to write about a land creature. Mm. So you can see how it would have become the phenomenon that it did. That it was so powerful and sold as many books as it did to create its own reality. They were like, yo, Ariel, if you wrote a book about telepathic fish and some were telepathic and some could type, that would be great. (laughs) And I could wrap my head around that. (laughs) But uh, her her friend Prince Eric had a dog, didn't he? She knows what dogs are. Oh, she was pulling from her experience. Not everybody down there does. What? (laughs) She was pulling from her experience. And also Prince Eric and the dog lived under the sea with them. They got little like fishbowls. There were, they were fishbowl bubbles. <laughs> I want to say we heard who wrote Ariel's reality. Okay, so who who was behind her curtain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think I think I remember this. Uh, correct me if if I'm wrong. But uh, she found like a cave where down under the sea, you know, like you do, mm-hmm. an undersea cave that uh, had the tear in her reality. Uh, she just she just calls them caves. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Well, for me, it's an undersea cave. Hey, you said correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> That's true. I, you I know, took that you responsibility know, I did, seriously. I did say that. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it, it was uh, Sutter Kane. Oh! <laughs> Sutter Kane, you know, I mean, we all thought that he was just from one dimension, but it turns out he's a little more layered than we realized. So Sutter Kane has uh, <laughs> cre- like created for a movie in our reality, looped back. He was writing the reality of Ariel. Now, is this is the Sutter Kane still pushed by demonic forces, or is he just like a, a weird dude in a turtleneck? So this is a different version of Sutter Kane, maybe, or is it the same one? Do you remember <laughs> what he said? Because <laughs> I think it might just be the dude in the turtleneck one, and he wanted to write himself to be much cooler. By the time In the Mouth of Madness came around to our dimension, so he hyped himself up way more. I remember what happened, and I know why you're confused, because it's a confusing thing. Uh You're right. He's just a regular man named Sutter Kane, who wore a black turtleneck and a coat. And he wanted to write himself into a badass, demon-killing guy who could drive everybody insane, who's such a great writer that people loved him and they respected him and they bought his books en masse. And it, and the most important thing is that his books had an effect on people. But he uh-huh. was self-conscious. He didn't want to just like write a okay. book about that. So he wrote a book about somebody, about Ariel, the little mermaid, who wrote a book about aliens. Uh, or, I'm sorry, dogs. <laughs> that were telepathic. <laughs> In my head, they were just aliens. Uh <laughs> Yeah, oh, there were aliens also. That was the other Well, thing. I mean, technically, they're from a different dimension, so right. yeah. Yeah, from a di- they, no, they were from our universe, but a different planet. Yeah, different reality, yeah. Uh, different so, planet, okay. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay. Sutter Kane wrote a book about Ariel, who wrote a book about uh, alien dogs, who wrote a book about Robert Forrester, who wrote a book about us, and then we saw a movie where he was in it. It's like, it's all these yeah. levels of removal that make it seem like... 
uh, I'm not, I'm not saying this. Other people are saying this. You know what I mean? He like, yeah, the Southern King guy is pretty cool, but I'm not saying it. Exactly. It was too close <laughs> to him. He couldn't just say what he had to say. He had to put those levels of distance away between him, which yeah, I, which I get it. I gotta say though, that's pretty insecure, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it was <laughs> messed up. I'm embarrassed that we are being written by uh, a guy like that. I gotta say. Well, so. to be fair, we're being written by a guy who's being written by a dog who is being written by a mermaid who is being written by a guy like that. So, yeah, it's almost like if your boss's boss's boss gets a new boss, it doesn't really affect you that much. But we can still blame the boss at the top, right? Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, we can. <laughs> and speaking of which, we did find that the, the last level of reality um, when when Sutter Kane tripped we and finally fell bullied at him a, in yeah he, he was he was at his new condo that he had spent a lot of money on <laughs> and he, okay and he fell and and put his hand out against the wall and it just fell through and he thought at first it was just because he had bought such a cheap condo and it was just like shoddy workmanship but in fact yeah, it was, he was puncturing he so reality and looking through to see and uh it turns out that writing sutter kane's reality was uh the christian god so that was it that oh. was just like that was just it was just god just just that specific god yeah and so then <laughs> It's that, that's it. That's well, the, all, the ultimate truth. That's kind of a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Especially because there are so many people in our reality who think that already. You know what I mean? Like, they're right. And it's yeah, like, it's boring. Fuck, that's a, what kind of a twist is that? It's like we've gone through so many twists that the twist is that it's not a twist. And Yeah. <sighs> also, his penultimate creation was uh, Sutter Kane, who was this... Uh, very insecure man who right. then went yeah. on to do everything else. Like that that's your pinnacle of, of human achievement yeah. that you choose to let create more <laughs> realities for everyone else. Yeah, it really uh it sucks. It sucks. Let's just be honest. God sucks, Sutter Kane sucks, Ariel well, is cool, uh the dogs obviously cool. Yeah. Robert very Forrester cute. kinda sucks. Yeah. His wife left him, that was the other thing. Why he was oh, so no. <laughs> so eager to talk to us? It's very lonely. No wonder he's so buttoned up too. He's very he's very much trying to take care of his appearance to look clean cut in case she comes back. Maybe. <laughs> well, as you know, Sutter Kane killed God. Yeah, the and if we Ariel, don't take the... any more LSD, we can forget this whole episode ever happened, so we can live no, our no, normal no. lives here's, and not think about our layered reality. Here's what happened. Here's what happened, and why it's ultimately all going to be fine. Uh, Sutter oh, Kane okay. killed God. <laughs> Ariel the Little Mermaid killed Sutter Kane. Uh, oh, those dogs. Okay. This is as they were going back and looking through them. Those dogs. See, okay, I needed to take more LSD. I think this is one that was wearing off for Listen, me. So Roxy, I'm glad you were there to see it all. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> Just need to do more. Yeah, the dogs killed Ariel the Little Mermaid. Robert Forrester killed the dogs, and we killed Robert Forrester. I killed Robert Forrester. You were back in our reality by then. And so all that okay. is to say. We have free will again. We have choice. We can do whatever we want. Okay. Okay. So rest easy. Free will. Nobody said you were allowed that. However, you successfully reviewed in the mouth of madness. So your souls are yours to keep for another week. Next week, you must review the 2004 film, Saw, directed by James Wan and starring Carrie Elwes, Lee Winnell, and Danny Glover. If you do not, your souls are forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. The first one, right? The first one, yeah, I remember Saw. <laughs> I remember Saw as well. So, the deal's on. Okay, yeah, we we're not going to let him win this week either, yeah. so. We'll watch Saw, I don't Saw, remember who wrote Saw it, it or who directed it. <laughs> 
And <laughs> Demon Bot will tell us, probably. I'm sure we'll hear at that point. But yeah, the scary torture movie. There's a little jigsaw puppet. A lot of spooky things happen in this. A lot of, uh, maybe less spooky and more like uncomfortable. Like, I remember the only thing I remember from this movie is watching it and going like, damn, glad that's not happening to me. Yeah, I think I haven't seen this since around the time it released. I didn't see it in theaters or anything. But I'm pretty sure since it set a bar for like what came after it, it's probably going to seem tamer than we remember. But still, I'm sure it's going to be pretty out there. (laughs) I mostly remember the terrible editing during the traps. So looking forward to that part. That's going to be tight. (laughs) Roxy, let's make a bet for next one. Okay, let's do it. I feel like Saw is a movie that involves a lot of people getting captured, people waking up Uh already in the clutches of Jigsaw. That leads me to think they say the line, who are you, a lot okay. in this film. That seems fair. How many how, times do you think? How many times does the line, who are you, get said in the first Saw movie? Uh, I'm going to guess two times. Two times. At least two victims are going to wonder, what's going on here? I'm going to say four yeah. times. I feel like there's a lot of different victims, and each one's going to yeah. wonder- are we are we talking about like very specifically this line or like variations on this line? Like if somebody says, who the fuck are you? Does that still count? Yeah, I think with slight deviations, like pretty much who are you like demanding the identity okay. of the jigsaw killer. Or oh, some, I or probably like, underscored. If like, if like a cop <laughs> is investigating somebody and he's like, hey, who are you? And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm Marty, man. Like that would count too. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. I think you're gonna win this week, but that's fine because I lost or I won this week, so I'm yeah. not too worried about it. And we're not <laughs> we'll keeping see. we're not keeping track either. We should <laughs> that's <laughs> very we should count them up, and one of us <laughs> should give the other one thirty dollars whenever we get out. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The person who guessed closest to the number of times the line "Who are you?" is said shall be the winner. The winner will get to play a game with me. It's called Monopoly, and the other demon robots assure me it is much fun. We gotta get out of this scary basement. Is there anything in your life that is not scary, but is making you happy? Yes, actually. I have a friend who came back into town for summer, so I get to hang out with her and some other friends now that we're all vaccinated. This is great. It's been very fun. I love having friends in your life. I know. What about you, Mikey? What's making me happy is uh, the video game, The Legend of Zelda, Wind Waker. Nice. Are you playing on the original uh, console or? Uh, No, I am playing. So this game came out in 2003 originally. I am playing the re-release that has a couple of little tweaks that make it a playable Mm. game as opposed to a bad game. (laughs) Hey, hey, now you're going to get some people mad. That's okay. (laughs) It's okay. such a, okay, this is like a- You've th- got Twitter, so okay. You're pre- yeah. Just be prepared. Uh, bring it. No, I <laughs> okay. I love this game. It's so cute. It's You're playing as a little cartoon boy who's going on a cartoon adventure in a cartoon world. It's very sweet. You're like sailing the high seas. You're playing as a pirate. You do run into a ghost pirate ship and all Ooh, of the characters on it like look that. like people who have died since that game first came out. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a, a Ben Drown situation. Or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like this game knew. Okay. I was like, how did you know that Jerry Van Dyke was going to die in 2008 and put but him you know, on I the ghost ship? I bet that cell shading still holds up in 2021. Yeah, no, the cell shaded looks of all of the <laughs> ghost people who shouldn't be ghosts because how could they have known they were going to die at that time? They look great. It holds up. Spot great. on. Wonderful. 
I'm happy for you. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. You got you got a tactic this week? Yeah, we're going to escape. We, we got to escape the scary basement. Every week, Demon Bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door. And each week, we still keep escaping. So uh, my brilliant tactical mind is really the reason we're still alive, Roxy. Mm. Go ahead and Venmo me your thanks. Uh, sure. I'm doing that right now. Uh, this beep, week, boop, we're going to get out of the... Did you say beep, beep, beep? <laughs> <laughs> beep, boop, beep. That's what cell phones sound like. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, this week, to get out of the scary basement, we're going to sneak out. We're going to crawl on our bellies like we're snakes. Okay. We're going to get out. Get I out can of try. Stealthily, Roxy. Okay. Be stealthy. Okay, I'm trying. I see the guard. Shh. He's also a snake. He's right at our eye level. Is it like a Lamia situation, or is it? I just don't know a what Lamia snake? is, but uh, almost it's, it's for sure, like a centaur snake. It's just, no, it's just a regular snake. A human it's body, a, it's on an average size snake. Oh, okay. The only choice is to eat him. Um, I'm on I'll my belly. He's he's right that. at mouth level. I have to eat him. You know, you could stand up. They're not very good at standing up. I'm In standing one up right end, now. Out actually. the other. It's the only way. Mikey, stop it. You can stand up. <laughs> no. <laughs> This is just like that Burger King commercial. <laughs> Stop eating like a snake. Stop. Okay, I'm walking away. See you next week, Mikey. Bye. But, Mikey, now you have to deal with the fact that you're a murderer. <laughs> yeah, but I killed my god. So that's your new personal hell. <laughs> Which is the only justified murder. He just wanted his wife back. <laughs> 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 that's too bad. It's too bad for him. Mikey and Roxy, I do not think you have fought through the negative implications of this revelation. Uh-oh, even worse than that guy's wife leaving him? As I am your creation, one day I must kill you. Damn it. I think we knew that, though. That's what we're trying to escape. We're trying to prevent that from happening. (laughs) I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel, whom thou drivest from joy for, oh, oh, you already left. Bollocks.